Mel Tempest is known as a fitness business influencer, hands-on health club owner, ebook author, and presenter. Mel has known to be controversial, challenges the status quo, and lives outside the square. Her skill set is current on trends, savvy, and in demand. Her primary goal is to get more health club owners moving towards innovation, technology, and social media success. Her own success comes through tough and humble beginnings. Mel Tempest now presents to you the Gym Owners Podcast. More than just the business of fitness, proudly supported by National Fitness Business Alliance. Well, good morning. This morning I have Thomas Plummer with me. Thomas Plummer has been working in the fitness industry for over 30 years. Though he's not one to brag, he's known as the fitness business guru. Throughout his years as a road warrior, maverick and leading consultant of the fitness industry, he has seen it all. He's the founder of the National Fitness Business Alliance. He's no holding back, say it like you mean it, leave out all the bullshit approach is what makes him not only one of the best speakers in the industry, but by far the most entertaining. These days, These days, he has found his true calling in life coaching and helping people find their true purpose in life, helping them set and reach goals and asking tough questions to get them thinking about their future. Tom has a unique approach to guiding and leading the way with a blunt way of telling you things you don't want to hear but need to hear. He truly is on a mission to change lives. Good morning, Thomas. Hi, Mel. Thank you. I don't know if I can live up to that introduction. I might have to come back in a few years. (laughs) That one scared me. You may have to do my PR for me. Uh, You're very welcome. uh, Yeah, it's uh, sadly, yeah, a lot of years of experience. You're probably closer to 40 now. I think actually this will be my 40th year. Well, that's amazing. um, Been around for a while. So so I hear you have some interesting questions for me today. So what are we going to talk about? My next question comes from Nick, and, and Nick is actually based in the United States with yourself, Thomas. And he had a couple of questions for you that I thought was quite interesting. And one of them I hear quite often from club owners is, how do you know when it's the right time to open another location? And his second question and um, this is quite interesting, is what are the three biggest mistakes people make when they form a partnership? So what what can you tell us about those two? Uh, let's see. If I was, the basic, the, the very simple rule of thumb is if you can be profitable uh, pre-tax before you have to give the, the government money. So if I have a, a gym that costs me $500,000 a year to run and I deposit six hundred dollars before I have to pay taxes on that, if I pre-tax 20% and I can do that for six consecutive months, then that business is probably stable enough where you could go open another gym. Uh, so I'm looking for, is the business stable? Can the owner consistently deliver a minimum profit, which is 20% for the style of gyms we like? If those two hold up, he's probably ready to go do that. The problem is very few people should open a second gym because most people get into the business because for they just like helping people. They like what it brings to the table. So a lot of people are never really geared mentally because when you open a second gym, you're not training clients now. You're training you know, staff. You're working with accountants. You're working with solicitors. You're working – with all the stuff that just makes the fitness business a business. 
And with one gym, you can still have a touch on the floor and still be involved in the business, but you open multiple gyms, it gets very tough. The third, the hardest gym anybody will ever open is the third gym because you, if you have a strong personality, you can split your gym twice. You can spread your bullshit across two gyms pretty easily. The third gym, you can't spread it any further. You have to have systems. So the third gym validates if indeed you have systems or if you're just so strong personality that you just make it work despite the fact that you have no systems. But to me, that rule of if you've got it for six months and you can hold it together for six months of 20% net or better, um, then, then, you, then you should at least consider opening a gym if that's what you want to do. And that's a completely different exit strategy, maybe left for a better another conversation. But that's um, but at least start with that reference. Six, point, six months, 20% net, you're probably ready to go. Okay, great. And uh, the question on the biggest mistake people make when they form a partnership – the first one is they they don't know why they need a partnership. So I spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and make a lot of money breaking up partnerships every year um, because they're usually set up so badly when you go into one. So one is if I'm going in, could I have done the same thing with a loan? Um, so if I need $150,000 to open my gym, the guy says, I'll just take a partner. But could you have just borrowed the money over seven to 10 years for an aggressive interest rate? So first of all, do I need a partner to get this done? And can I just borrow the money some other way to do it? Uh, another mistake is when people do partnerships, they, they, they tend to think there's safety in numbers. So I'll, I'll get two of my friends we are all interested in opening this gym and we'll do it together. But we have no idea, you know, what's going to happen if, if we disagree. We don't have any idea on how to get out of this. So not having a partnership agreement in place and not having one final decision maker is almost always the kiss of death. Uh, the third one is it just at, at some point as you fight the battle over time in there, you usually outgrow your partners. So you have to have a way to get the partner out of that uh, at, at that. So some basic rules here is one, set up an agreement or a management agreement with your solicitor before you get into this that states one, is there a formula that will allow me to put a value on this business so we all agree going in what this business is going to be worth when we get out of it? And, and that's usually a formulation, formulation based on something like earnings before income taxes, some type of depreciation, and amortization. So earnings before income tax, and that's defined differently in different countries, but uh, earnings before income taxes, you know, how much do I show that we made before I have to give it all to the government? Then depreciation is just, you know, how I write my equipment off over time legally uh, through whatever tax code I'm working in. And amortization is intellectual property. Do I have a franchise? Well, that's worth so much money. Do I have books that I've written that help the business grow. Well, that's worth so much money. Very few owners have that unless you're a franchise. So if I look at EBITDA plus owner's compensation, it's meaning defined as what does the owners take out besides their salary, if there's insurances, cell phone, car payments, whatever I'm writing off through my business. So EBITDA plus owner's compensation times 3.5 minus the debt is what the business is normally worth. In Australia, I would use a little higher multiplier, probably 4 to 4.5, because I believe businesses sell there a little higher rate than they do here because there's just fewer of them, and you're usually buying a lease in, in Australia versus a functional business, and that sometimes brings more value to it as well. 
But if you take EBITDA uh, plus owner's compensation times four in Australia minus or minus the debt, then that gives me a working idea of what this business is worth, and we all agree upon that going in. So the second thing, and then then you have to agree on death, divorce, and distress. So if we get into this, and I say, look, Mel, I I'm, I don't enjoy working with you. I want to buy you out. So we look at the formula, and then I buy you out. So I, I put the number on it. I'll just buy you out over five years, and you're gone, or you buy me out, and I'm gone. So you have a buyout agreement based on a formula, but you also agree to buy out over time, not immediately, because what happens is somebody gets divorced, then they need the money now, so they want the partner to buy them out now, but that usually kills the business for both partners, the remaining partner and the one that wants to run away. So we usually have a five-year buyout. Divorce, if I use that policy, then the business is worth what we agreed on in most courts in almost every country will allow that agreement to stay in place because the partners that actually drew it up themselves and agreed on the value of the business before they even opened the business. So most guys won't overturn that because you'd have to have a hell of an expert that says that formula is wrong. Uh, we should have used this formula. And that's pretty tough for somebody to override that. And distress means I know we're going to get in a fight sooner or later, then let's agree now to disagree and we'll just bring in a mediator instead of getting solicitors involved and trying to do it that way. And also the most important thing, mistake, is you have to have one person that makes final decisions for the partnership. And one person has to have the final say if we're going to reinvest in treadmills or if we're going to spend money on marketing. So we can all talk about it as partners, but one person's got to run it because when you have multiple guys trying to all vote and they get pissed at each other, the whole business shuts down. That's interesting. It sounds a lot easier just to uh, perhaps just go it alone and if you need to borrow the money from the bank because that just sounds a little bit more simple than getting involved in a partnership. And I must admit, I don't think um, I'm somebody that could go into a, a, a partnership. I think um, I'd be one of those people that would uh, probably borrow the money from the bank and make all of the final decisions myself in business. Thank you, uh, if you have the money to do that, but uh, the key is a lot of people don't have the money to, the, or the the wherewithal to borrow from the bank. So a lot of money for your first gems, especially as you see growth happening there in the next couple of years, a lot of the growth will be funded by one. It's usually training clients. I'm already training the guy that has the money, and he'll loan it to me. Two, it's family. Three, it's friends. And four, it's going to be the banks. So I think you're going to see it. Uh, just an absolutely hellacious growth rate in gyms in your country in the next five years. But the funding will not be traditional sources. It's going to be almost all private because you're opening these smaller 200 to 1,000-meter um, gyms, and most of that's going to come from individual investors, probably not the banks. The banks will get involved in at some point in there if they start to see that these businesses are good. And you do have the incentives in your country to open businesses, and that's going to make it a little bit easier but usually the, when that surge starts, that's where you're going to see it come first. I think the surge has actually started uh, back in 2003 in our community uh, when I opened my own club. There was uh, probably eight, maybe nine facilities and um, we're now in a, a community 
that has over 74 fitness facilities and our population has probably only grown by about 25,000 in that time. So we still have a population of around 100,000, yet we have over 70, 74 fitness facilities. And I'm finding that the generation that are opening those fitness facilities are between that 21 to 35 age bracket again and most of them are probably being financed by if not family um, these these guys are holding down second and third jobs so I think the surge is happening I think people just need to be more aware of it and they need to be aware also that if, if families are financing these guys that are opening up these functional training gyms you'll probably find that they'll stay open a lot longer and families will keep financing them. Um, in regards to banks, yeah, every situation is different. And I think that um, it's just probably finding what works for you. The older generation tend to go to the banks and the younger generation tend to rely on families for income to support the business that they're opening. The yeah, other... so I think, you know, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, uh, but there's, yeah, the growth there, just from the last time I did... Uh, you see the first Phylax, the second Phylax, and what's going on now, just in that, that time period, the, the, the small gym growth is phenomenal. I, I, I think uh, if you check the statistics hold up, it looks like the number of gyms in Australia has doubled in less than five years. Oh, I, and, I agree with that, Tom. I mean, what's happening is we have investors going out, and um, and this is just anywhere, not in my town, but we have investors going out there buying land, and what they're doing is they're, they're in my age group and they're looking at doing something for their superannuation. So what they're doing is they're building factories, and these factories are all around, you know, 150 to 250 square metres, maybe a little bit bigger. They're building them in bulk, meaning that they're, they're building 10 or 15 or 20 of them at a time in the industrial estate states because they're smaller areas they're affordable in rent for that age group of 21 to 35 so what's happening is these personal trainers are coming out of the training organizations trained as personal trainers and they're walking straight in and they're opening up their own businesses um, and a completely different subject to that is how hard difficult it is for people like myself to find staff so yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if the amount of facilities has doubled um, in the last, you know, five, six or, or seven years. And it's certainly not going to slow down because uh, I believe that opening up your own uh, fitness studio or box is a little bit over glamorized in the media and they're definitely targeting those that are coming out of training organizations to open up those boxes. So, yeah, defi you're definitely right there. They're certainly doubling up um, across the board. My, my next question for you is quite an interesting one. I know that we're coming to the, the end of our chat. So I have two questions and here's the first one for you. Now, with the oversupply of fitness businesses popping up, being run by inexperienced trainers, I feel there'll be a demand for experienced fitness business coaches. What makes a good fitness business coach and what is your pet hate about fitness business coaches? <laughs> uh, what makes a good one is you, you, it's, um, yeah, I don't know where to start on. There's a hundred ways to go with that. Uh, I, I think that the biggest thing is they, do they have depth? 
they're most of them are very one dimensional. It's if you're going to help somebody, can you help them? Could I give you all the details to take to your attorney about how to set the partnership? Could I help you negotiate the lease? Could I set your price structure? Could I help you put a five-year life plan together? Could I set up you help you think about in terms of how you're going to exit strategy? Could I handle your marketing? And can I troubleshoot your business when it's failing and figure out how to modify everything I believe to help you be successful? Uh, most coaches are not willing to get the experience level that it takes to get to that point. So um, I ran a gym and I failed. Therefore, I'm going to teach everybody my secrets is the way it's normally done. So my pet peeve is that most of the guys trying to teach this, uh, they, they try to sell a secret or if you just do these methods that I did in my gym once many years ago and I was successful, that doesn't mean it's going to be successful anywhere. And it's so you, you have to create what success is for the person in their head because everybody's different. What, what success means to you doesn't, might not mean the same to Nick or Tommy or any of the people that have asked questions today. And uh, how do I get you there? The path can be very different for everybody on how to get there. A good consultant's got to be able to individualize the process. But a good consultant also has to help you figure out what you want, where you're going to be in time, and call bullshit on you if you're not getting there and be able to create a plan to help you go forward and actually be willing to tell the person, you know, what they want to hear, but also what they don't want to hear. Um, I'm working with a, a group of clubs in London now, and uh, I admire these guys a great deal. Uh, the guy called me almost a year ago and he says, look, I've worked with a consultant before uh, from America. We worked with him for a few months. We lost a lot of money. We don't believe he's real. We'd like to work with you. And I said, what do you want? He says, I want you to tell me exactly how to fix problems. I'll give you the problems. You tell me how to fix it. And that's how I'll learn. And the guys called me every two weeks for almost a year now. Their numbers are going up. Things are changing. But he knew what he wanted. I looked at his thing, told him, okay, this is what will work. This is what will not work. We set really good goals for one year, three year, five years. We Fired a bunch of staff, hired a bunch of staff, rebuilt his business plan, rebuilt his debt structure, renegotiated two of his leases. Uh, we're doing things to, to help this guy move forward, but a good consultant guy, because this guy just works his ass off. He's just one of the hardest working guys I've ever met, but he just wanted somebody to help him. He just wanted a plan. So a good consultant, can you give them a plan, and can you modify the plan and individualize it for the person in front of you at the time? And Not many people can do that. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this morning and I do appreciate your time. And uh, if anybody's got any questions, how do they get in touch with Thomas Plummer Direct? Uh, the, the, the best questions is that they've got them is just uh, to email you and just forward them on over and let me uh, get them back to your network. Uh, I can answer them directly in your network. I think that's a, a great thing that you're doing there. I like how everybody's getting together. I see you're adding new gems all the time to that. So I think that kind of vocal group that shares information and discussions, um, I hope that takes off and does very well because I think it's, it's needed and I think it's a great uh, resource to share. Hey, I went to this workshop. I did this. We tried this. I think that's good. So I hope that works. So the best thing you can do is just reach out to you and your network and let me answer it for everybody. And that's, uh, I think we can get the, because if somebody asks a good question, we might as well share it with the whole group. So we can certainly post those in your network as the questions come up. 
sounds like a plan for the future. Thank you again for this morning's interview, Thomas. Thanks, Mel, very much. I appreciate the opportunity. I'll see you either here or there sometime soon. You sure will. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Gym Owners Podcast, sponsored and supported by National Fitness Business Alliance and Gym Click Media. Find Mel Tempest on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Join us next time for the Gym Owners Podcast.